Today's passage is from the book of John, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews to, for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them up to the they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that has been turned into wine. He did not realize where it has come from, though the servant who has drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guest has had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Ernest. You can come this way. If you want uh, a copy of, yeah, if you want a copy of uh, the text, um, it's in the back, and we're going to continue our series um, through Gospel of John. Uh, we're in our third week, and last week was supposed to be actually uh, John chapter 1 and chapter 3 about the, the little sections about John the Baptist, um, and Darren chose to preach uh, from John 3, um, but we will go more or less um, in order from now on. But let's pray that God will speak to us through this passage. Lord, we thank you for your word um, that it creates life in us, um, that it banishes our sin. It creates new desires um, to live for you and for your glory. And Lord, we pray that you would shower us um, with your word, that you would speak to us and make us alive. Um, Lord, we thank you uh, for the power of your word, and we invite it um, to speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can I ask what your favorite miracle, Jesus' miracle is? You know, Jesus does a lot of different kinds of miracles. What's your favorite? Sometimes he heals the sick. He calms the, the, the storm. He even raises uh, the, the dead. Uh, he feeds the 5,000. He walks on water. He drives out evil spirits. There are so many uh, signs, so many miracles that he does. Well, of course, the purpose of the miracles is not just, just to awe you or to, it's not a just display of power. Jesus does them partly because he wants to show who he is. They are signs. 
signs that point to Jesus' identity as the Messiah, as the Son of God. And this is why, in fact, in, in the Gospel of John, the miracles are not called miracles. They're actually just simply called signs. Signs. And Jesus has done many, many signs that point to his identity. In fact, the Gospel of John, the very last verse, uh, John 21, um, ends like this. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have the room for the books that would be written. Acknowledging that Jesus did many, many other things, which also means that John was careful in selecting his material. And did you know that in the Gospel of John, Jesus does not drive out, drive out evil spirits. He does not walk on water. You know, he, he selects only seven miracles. Only seven of them in the entire gospel, which begs the question, why start this gospel? Why start Jesus' ministry with this, in a way, unremarkable sign of Jesus turning water into wine? And actually, not that many people saw it either. It wasn't everybody. Most people didn't know what happened that day. It was just a few people. Well, why does G uh, John record this one as the first one in his gospel? As I said a couple of weeks back, Gospel of John is this gospel that is as shallow as for uh, a toddler uh, to wade in, but as deep as an elephant can swim. And it is true of this passage as well. And as we dive deeper into this passage, it tells us much more about who Jesus is. It tells us actually that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Yep, that Jesus is the promised Messiah. It tells us what he promises, a never-ending joy. And it tells us how he's going to give us that never-ending joy through his death and resurrection by deeply cleaning us and making us new. That's all there in this story. So let's dive deep. But one of the reasons why I think that, you know, I think less of this miracle is because it seems like kind of a cool party trick that doesn't actually change anybody's life, right? Oh, wouldn't it be great to have Jesus in your wedding? Bring your own water and my friend Jesus will turn it into wine. I mean, that's kind of what it sounds like. Uh, um, but of course, back then, weddings and what happened actually had a much deeper significance because weddings were much more of a serious affair. It was a communal affair where everybody pitched in. And there was, uh, commentators tell me, there was an expectation of return. The people who then were uh, giving this banquet had the obligation to make sure that the banquet was a good one because everybody pitched in. And they tell me that they're legally, they could be legally liable for not doing their job as a host. I mean, if you think about it like this, if you went to a wedding... And you gave, each person gave, say, $2,000 in the red packet, packet you know, with, for me and me, Mary, would be $4,000. And you went. And the wedding, they served McDonald's. And then worse yet, um, it, they ran out in the middle. They ran out of food in the middle. How would you feel? You would, at the back of your mind, would go, I paid $4,000 for this. $4,000. How come they didn't do a better job? It would make you angry. Well, it was kind of like that. On the simplest level, 
this would have, would have caused great shame to the groom's family, to the bride and the groom as they start their life together. And this is then a story about Jesus' tender mercy. You know, not everybody knew about this, but Jesus doesn't just, Jesus doesn't say it to all the people, but secretly and quietly, he makes the wine. He covers over their shame. In a way, it is a simply a story about that, how Jesus covers over um, this couple's shame. But that's not the reason why John records this as the first story in his gospel. You see, this miracle actually introduces Jesus as the promised Messiah. It's one that shows that he is the one that the Old Testament looked forward to coming because the Old Testament prophets uh, looked forward to a time when God would come and restore his people. He would bring back his people from the exile and bring them back. And it would be a banquet. The metaphor that they used would, was a banquet, that he would uh, 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 prepare a big feast, a feast of abundance, Amos 9. You can go there. At many other places like this, he would uh, prepare this giant feast for his people. In fact, Isaiah chapter 25, I think, is a great place to see this. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. He will remove all uh, his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. You see, Messiah would come. And when he comes, he will begin his ministry with the feast. The finest of meats and finest of aged wine. Finest of wine. He will drive away darkness. Darkness will be no more. Death will be swallowed up. He will wipe the tears from people's eyes. And his ministry will start with that feast. You see what John is doing then. John recorded this one as the first sign to say, this is who Jesus is. Jesus, Jesus is the Messiah, God who had promised to come and restore his people from disgrace and he would fill them abundantly. That's what he's saying. And not only that, not only is this a feast, it's a special kind of a feast. It's a wedding feast, isn't it? Once again, wedding feasts were a way that the uh, prophets spoke about the coming of the Messiah. In fact, you know this, that the, in the Old Testament, God referred to himself often as the groom and his people as the bride, that he would come and meet and unite his bride to himself. And if we see this carefully, John is picturing Jesus as the groom, a groom of the wedding. I don't know if you had this awkward conversation. I think almost everybody who's engaged has uh, uh, have this uh, awkward conversation about who's going to pay for what. <laughs> you know, for Mary and me, it was slightly awkward, right? Because in the West, it's the bride's family that pays for everything. And in the East, it's the groom's family, well, in, traditionally, that paid for everything. Well... You know, Mary, how are we going to do this? <laughs> Your family or my, you know? And we settled on equally uh, settling the bill um, for, for our wedding. But 
uh, in the East, in, like Israel, the groom's family paid for the wedding. They've paid for the food. They paid for the wine. And so when the wine runs out, actually, it was a groom's family. Groom, it was supposed to, he was responsible for preparing the wine. This is why when the master of the banquet, you know, when they, he tastes the finest wine, and they, he goes to the groom and says, oh, yeah, everybody serves the best wine first, and then the worst wine last, but you served the, uh, the best, uh, you saved the best for last, except it wasn't that groom. Who actually provided the wine? Who fulfilled the role of the groom? Well, it's Jesus. Jesus provided that wine for the people. Remember, God was often called the groom. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, he will rejoice over you. And last week, we heard from uh, Darren, from John chapter 3, uh, verse 29 and 30, that the bridegroom belongs to the bride. And then John the Baptist says, you know, I am just friends. The bridegroom has arrived, and so he must increase, and I must decrease. He calls Jesus the groom. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says, it's not right that his disciples fast because the groom has come. I am the groom who has come to unite his people to myself. I am uh, the, 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 the one who you have been waiting for. And that is what this miracle is about. The groom is here. The promised Messiah is here. But mostly, so if you are not yet a Christian... I pray that you will look to Jesus as your Messiah. All the things that you, your heart really longs for, whether it's recognition or real security or real joy or whatever it is, that can only be found in Jesus. Jesus is your Savior who has come for you to claim you as his bride, as his to look to him for those of us who, who know Jesus already. Listen to your Messiah. Listen to your groom. Once again, this miracle was mostly unnoticed. People who knew about it, Mary, uh, disciples apparently later on, and uh, the servants. That's about it. Mostly, it, w- it went unnoticed. But there was a person who knew who Jesus was from the very beginning. It was Mary. It was Mary who came to Jesus and said, Son, the wine has gone out. That's not just an informative statement, right? That's like saying, Son, your room's dirty. (laughs) It's saying, Clean your room. (laughs) Son, the, the, the wine has run out. It's saying, Do something. You can do something about this. Do something. And it's Mary who then told the servants, Whatever he tells you, listen to him. Do whatever he tells you. Sorry. Do whatever he tells you. Whether it, is, it makes sense to you, whether it's difficult, whether it seems illogical, we as God's people are supposed to listen to Jesus because we know he is the Messiah. Are you listening 
to Jesus? Are you doing whatever he's telling you to do? Listening to him. Why, you might ask, why is it enough that Jesus, we know Jesus to be our Lord? That should be enough. But there is a promise in here. Do whatever he tells you because he will give you joy. Listening to him will give you never-ending joy. Yeah, and that's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to give us life, an abundant life, joy that's never-ending. Uh, Old Testament uses wine as a symbol of joy. If you can go to Psalm 104, you know, wine that gladdens your heart. Wine often is used as a symbol of joy. And, you know, this wedding that's run out of wine, it's a place that's run out of joy. That's what it's saying. The joy has run out. And it's that Jesus provides. Jesus has come to provide joy to his people. And think about how much wine he actually produced. Verse 6, nearby stood six jars, six stone jars of water, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. That makes 120 to 180 gallons. This is 750 milliliters. And what the minimum, he made 610 bottles of wine. Maximum, he made 930 bottles of wine. You know, he wasn't a wedding guest who brought, a dinner guest who brought one bottle of wine. He brought 900 of, of, of bottles of finest wine. That is how much he produced. You see what this is saying. Messiah is here, and your joy will never run out. That's what he's promising. The Messiah is here. Come to me. Your joy will never run out from now on. And church, is your life marked by joy of knowing Jesus? Is your life marked by joy of knowing Jesus? Often Christians are known as people who took out a cosmic insurance policy, right? You pay your dues now so that you can go to heaven later. Where is the joy in that? Where, where is the joy in that? Christians often are known for things that we oppose. We oppose abortion, gay, gay marriage, um, uh, premarital sex, or uh, you know, whatever. The things that we are opposed to. Well, we should be known for our moral uprightness and rectitude, but we should be far better known for our joy of knowing Jesus, for having a relationship with the living God, uh, the God who is the source of all joy. We should be known for love that is overflowing from us. That's what we should be known for. Unfortunately, though, we're often people who say, oh, that's not funny. <laughs> Friends, we ought to be known for our joy. That should be fundamental to our being. That should be the default mode for Christians. Do you know this fountain of joy? Is he in your life? Remember Jesus. He said, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. And I've told you this so that my, my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Last week, a few people talked about this, right? That joy, that peace of knowing Jesus uh, as people are getting baptized. Um, often, though, 
instead of looking to Jesus for joy, we look to our circumstance. We look to change our circumstances, right? We want to change maybe our spouse, our wife, our husband. We maybe, worse yet, you're looking for a new wife, new spouse, new girlfriend, or whatever. We're looking to change our circumstances. Uh, maybe if I change my job, if I change uh, my psychiatrist, if I start a new career, if I get new pills, uh, maybe if I get more education and, 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 and embarked on a different path, uh, maybe this technology, maybe new politician will come and change. Maybe that's when I will be fulfilled. Maybe that's how my life will become better. Friends, we have Jesus. We have Jesus who came with 930 bottles of joy. And you know what? When 930 bottles runs out, it's okay because he can make more. Bring whatever water that you have. Bring whatever circumstance that you have. He can bring you that joy in you. Are we looking to him? Are we listening to him? Of course, this doesn't mean that our life will not have our ups and downs. Jesus called his coming a wedding party. That he's the bridegroom. He's the groom wedding party. But then, but then he was betrayed. <laughs> but then he faced much hardship. But then he died on the cross. It wasn't all easy for him. That's not what that means, that we will have joy, that, that, that our circumstance will always be good. No, that's not true. And some of you are going through brokenness now. Broken relationships. You're grieving. The state of your marriage, your state of your relationship with the parents or whatever it is. You're grieving sickness. Uh, people who are losing health. Uh, people here who are grieving death. Who have lost lo their loved one recently. How are we then to experience that joy? Well, first of all, I think it, might, it means it's simply by going to Jesus, looking to him like Mary who knew who Jesus was and went to Jesus and said, oh, the wine has run out. My joy has run out. My strength has run out. I need help, Jesus. Looking to Jesus for this solution. Secondly, by doing what he told us. Right? Uh, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. And I told you this so that my joy may be in you, that, that your joy may be complete. Sins rob us of joy. The joy in life that, is, that we have in him, are we listening to him? Are we getting rid of the sins that are in our life? But also, thirdly, by setting our eyes on the future, on the future, the fullness of joy that will come. The world, the way that the way they run is that they serve the best wine now and nothing in the future. Now that's what the, you know, the MC was saying, that you serve the best wine. Usually people serve the best wine now uh, and, and first and then worst at the end. That's how the world works. You, best, you live your best life now. Uh, but that's not how Christian life works. The, in the Christian life, the best is reserved for the last, when Jesus comes back, when the, this engagement ceremony will end with our full union with Jesus Christ, which is why the Bible ends with this good news. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a 
bride beautifully dressed for her husband, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Church, this world's problems will end. They will end. The world, the history will end with the wedding banquet, with us, not just as guests, but as bride, beautifully dressed for our husband, Jesus. He will come and unite us with the fullness of who he is, and he will bring the fullness of joy. Set your eyes on that. Set your eyes on that. And that joy will come even now, today, as you go through that difficult circumstance. That day will come. That is our destiny. That is our end. So do you have that happy day set before your eyes as you live this life? But you might be thinking, but how do I know? that I'll be even invited to that wedding? How, how do I know that I will actually be this bride because I am not worthy? When I look at myself, I am not this beautifully dressed bride. I am so unworthy of him now. Well, in the Western wedding, the bride is usually dressed in white, which symbolizes the pure, purity and chastity. But in a way, I mean, that's a complete fiction, isn't it? I'm not casting aspersion on you, but if we look at ourselves, all of us with our spiritual eyes, there's none of us that are beautiful, the perfectly white, pure, unblemished. We all carry our, you know, uh, um, our sins. We're stained in sin. We're soiled in our spiritual adultery. We carry baggages of all kinds to Jesus. But, the, but, but then God's word is true. When Jesus comes back, we will be made pure. We will be made worthy of our groom, Jesus. Well, how? How can we be transformed? Well, this text actually gives you a hint of how he will do this as well. Did you notice what Jesus actually replaces? The water. Where is that water found in verse 6? Water is found in the purification jar. The, wa the water that is used uh, for Jew Jewish people to wash themselves ceremonially, to cleanse themselves. And it's not like 2,000 years ago. They knew about the microbes and the virus that causes uh, you know, illness and things. They washed themselves for religious reasons because they knew that the world was contaminated with sin and death, that it is part of us. They reminded themselves in all these different ways that they are dirty, that they do need to be washed, except the water does not clean our hearts, except the water does not wash away our sins, which is why Jesus comes and says, fill that jar with water and I will replace it it will be this wine. And of course, that points to what Jesus will do, how his blood will be shed for us. And in communion, we remind ourselves of, don't, uh, of this, don't we? We drink this cup of wine. 
knowing that we are changed needs to come from inside out, that our hearts need to be transformed in order to be made pure. His life being implanted in our hearts, us being transformed. And there's another hint here as well. Mary informs Jesus. Um, when Mary informs Jesus, take a look at verse 4. Um, when the wine is gone, Jesus strangely replies, Well, Mary, what, do you, what, does, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Well, in the Gospel of John, the hour almost always refers to the hour of his death, the hour of his glorification, the hour when Jesus will die on the cross. For example, in this is chapter 12, 23, the hour has not come for the Son of Man to be glorified. This is what, I, I mean, I think, as I was thinking about this, I thought this is quite moving. In this wedding, in this happy occasion, you see what Jesus is doing. Jesus is thinking about his own wedding and the price that he'd have to pay to make us his bride, his hour. That's what he's thinking about. My hour has not yet come. And there is yet another hint in this passage. Take a look at verse 1. Our story began on the third day, it says. On the third day, he went to this wedding. Well, what third day of what? You know, when, when did we start counting the number of days? In John chapter 1, it's actually next day, next day, next day. In John chapter 2, it, the story begins on the third day. Well, why the third day? Well, the day of the resurrection for Christians has, been, has come to be known as the third day. The third day when death was defeated, when the new creation began, when Jesus rose again from the dead, that is the third day. You see, John is foreshadowing not only Jesus' death, but is foreshadowing his resurrection. As the Messiah is, has come, he will die for us. He will rise again for us. And he will bring in this third day when death is defeated. It's the beginning of the new creation. And once again, if you go back to John chapter 1, the story is in the beginning. As if this was a day of, this was a story of a new creation. Well, the third day is the beginning of the new creation. I got married fairly late at the age of 35, but not for lack of trying. I asked, uh, I asked up many girls, <laughs> and they've, in the end, all turned me down. <laughs> um, uh, not for lack of trying, but uh, as my, my friend once reminded me, actually, it, didn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter, Hugh. Um, in dating and marriage, Percentage, shooting percentage does not matter. Only one needs to go in. And one went in. Um, I'm really thankful that Mary uh, married me. It was a very happy day. And I looked forward to that wedding day for many, many different reasons. For many, many years, I didn't think that I had the gift of uh, uh, um, what is it, singleness. And I, I really did, did want to get married for a long, long time. But now... I await my Savior's return. I await my Savior's return. The day that my marriage points to. In the end, I await that day when I will see 
the face of my Savior Jesus, when I will be fully united with him. I await that day when that change will come, when I will no longer struggle with all the sin and filth in my heart and in my mind, that I will be made pure. I await the day when the world will be rid of their sins and injustice and all the terrible things, and the, the whole world will breathe anew with the God's spirit being filled in this world. I await that day that'll be happily ever after. Really happily ever after. And I know, I know that day will come because Jesus came 2,000 years ago. Because Jesus came as our Messiah. Because Jesus bled for us. And on the cross, he set that joy before him and he endured the cross and because he died and rose again that day will come and you and I and all those who trust in Jesus we will stand pure and holy uh, befitting our worthy savior let's pray Lord, we thank you for Jesus, our Messiah. We thank you that he has come to save us, to claim us as his own, to cleanse us of our sins. We thank you that in him is our future. In him is our joy. And Lord, we pray now for all of us who trust in you to look to him as our source of joy. And Lord, we pray for those of us who don't yet know you, that your spirit would speak loudly to them, to their hearts and to their minds, that they too might open their eyes and see the beauty of our Savior, Jesus, that they too would, that the longings of their hearts might be met in him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.